In this episode, we are discussing the love languages. We go through all of them, tell you our experience with them, and then also discuss the controversial author and creator of these love languages. We can't wait to hear what you think. This is Heather Wood and Jamie Hayhurst, and this is the Intuitive Girl's Guide. Hey, Jay, you want to talk about love languages today? Yes. (laughs) I hear this referenced all the time, and I read the book, which I'll tell you guys all about in a minute, um, like 10 years ago. Right. Um, And both the author and the content are interesting and discussion worthy, in my opinion. I think that that's a nice way to say it, Heather. <laughs> I, and I want to be clear that the actual love languages themselves, and I'm going to bring them up and we're going to go through all of them. Right. I don't really have a problem with them. I think it's a cool concept. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you're like love them and you're hearing us talk and you're afraid we're going to crush your dreams about them, I don't really think we are, but we are going to bring up some stuff Um towards the end of the episode or the second half of the episode where we really look at like what we tolerate and what we don't tolerate in quote unquote experts. Right. And this is definitely sort of the tip of the iceberg of something that Heather and I feel like we we should be talking about more in this community and just in general about, you know, who's presenting this information that you really connect to and what that means. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay, let's start by getting into the love languages. Let's do it. So these love languages, this idea is that there are five different specific ways that people express and receive love. Yep. They come from a book written by Dr. Gary Chapman. Like I said, more on him later. Yeah. and the book is called The Five love, love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. And it was written in 1992. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people talking about it like it's this cool new thing. It's right. not. Right. I think why it feels kind of like new is that I think it's had like sort of one of those rebirths where it becomes popular again. And I think in like our more modern social media take a personality quiz culture where we really are kind of hungry for understanding ourselves and um, having like healthier relationships and not just doing that like patriarchal accept what you have thing. I think that sort of given this new life and this book has been on the bestseller list for almost the entire time since it was published. Right. But I think sort of one of the potential problems of social media or the way that we get information now is that it can bring life to things like this. It can help skyrocket someone's career or their publishing career. Um, But the fact that everything's in snippets, you're just hearing this sort of very narrowly focused portion of it and you're not learning or hearing where it's coming from or who it's coming from or what the backing of it is or the, what the roots of it are. And I think that because of social media, we miss all of that stuff. I, I completely agree. Um, and I, I think that one of the things that we're going to talk about actually in next week's episode 
we're, we're going to talk about like cancel culture and stuff. And right. sort of yeah, one of the things that I want to address there, I just want to touch on here is that sometimes it's like, sometimes is it okay to be like, well, some of these concepts are great, but some of them aren't. So let's take some of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like it really poses this, this like deeper question for me as to like, how much of this do we allow? I feel like that came up in the grab avoid codes. If you guys haven't listened to that controversial episode, <laughs> exactly. please go ahead and do that. But right. you know what I mean, like, Oh, there's parts of this concept that are helpful, but I think it, it kind of misses stuff. And it also, how much do you sort of allow a little room for because it was written so long ago, right? Like, right. You know what I'm trying to say, like, where do you put it? I, I think that's a tough question. Yeah, I think it's, that's a very hard question. And I find myself sort of running through all of those questions on a case by case basis when things like this come up. But it, this is a podcast about intuition. And so for me, the the first question I ask is like, where do I want to be putting my energy? Where do I want to be putting my money? You know, where like where am I putting my focus? And is it with this guy? Because we know it's not grab a boy, right? If you heard that episode, you know, we, we've talked about spiritual integrity. We've done all that. So it's like, but it's a lot easier just to be like, tacos are my love language. And, and let it <laughs> like cute thing you know what I mean but then to actually do the work of looking into where you're putting your energy that's tougher agreed all right let's let's talk about what the love languages are and present the case we'll share our opinion and then listeners tell us where you fall what you think you make your assessment and tell us how you feel right I mean and tacos are my love language if we're I was gonna say are you I mean, let's just get it out there. Tacos are love language. Same. Okay. That's not on the list of five here that Dr. Gary Chapman created, but that can be, we can write in for that to be an addition. Right. Okay. All right. So um, before I tell you the five, I want to say that very similar to like, remember in the Enneagram episode where they were saying it's like explained in this that you'll relate to all five of these. You you use all five of these love languages, but one of them is like you're more dominant. Right, exactly. So they are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, gifts, and physical touch. Yes. Now, you can take a quiz on the Love Languages website, which we're going to go over that after I kind of go into each of these a little bit. Jamie and I took the quiz, so we'll share our results, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, so you can like listen to this and sort of see what connects with you, but know like there is a quiz you can take and it actually gives you the percentages of like how, how high you scored in each of the five categories. Right. So let's, let's talk about words of affirmation first, Jay. Okay. So this is like verbal acknowledgement of affection. So saying I love you a lot. Also, you could like text I love you a lot or write a letter that says, hey, guess what? I love you. Um, words of encouragement, praise, compliments. In particular, verbally telling someone you appreciate them. That is that love language really speaks to some people and is the way that they feel the most loved when they're receiving that sort of thing. That was my number one. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, 
things that they love. So these, this is like if, so you want to know what you are, but you also want to know what the people around you are is this concept. So this was really written, like when you read the book in the tone of like a couple knowing their own and knowing this about each other. Right. But I think it's helpful to know it maybe about your children and your friends and all that. Yeah. I I would have definitely said your love language was tacos. No problem. I would have known that about you, my friend. Okay. Um, So things that, so if somebody words of affirmation is their love language, one of the best things that you or some of the best things you can do is that you could send them a note in the mail. They are the people who really enjoy a letter or a card. Oh, that's true. I do love, I do love a handwritten note in the mail. Yes. They love a quote. Yep. So they'll, they post a lot of quotes on social media. Um, They love when someone sends them a quote that resonates. That's something that really works for them. Yes. And they really thrive in environments where they have lots of encouraging language. Right. Validation through words. Yes. So if if this is you and you're like, oh, this one's mine for sure. Um, And and again, obviously everyone enjoys these things, right? But if this is like the the most intense one for you, this is the way that you feel most loved. So you would want to express this to the people in your life who love you so that they can do a good job making you feel loved. And then if you have someone in your life who this is their love language, you would want to love them in that way. Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be sure to um, send you a note in the mail and I will include a taco quote in it for you. <laughs> that would be delightful. Okay. I would love that. All right. Um, the number two is quality time. Mm-hmm. So this, the biggest thing about this is undivided attention. Yes. This this person who feels like quality time is their number one is the person who is irritated with you if you are spending time with them, but you are on your phone. Yes, absolutely. That's right. Um, meaningful conversation is something they are constantly seeking. Like they want, they're the people who want to have those like big, deep talks for three hours. That's somebody who quality time, right? right. Um, and one-on-one time with them is critical. Gotcha. It makes me think of like, if you said to, I think this might be true for everybody, but this would especially affect somebody whose quality time, quality time is their like number one love language. If you were like, Hey, let's do something tonight, sort of implying it was like just the two of you. And they showed up with five more people. That would be like, crushing blow to a quality time person. And if that's not your love language, you might not see the problem in that. Yeah. I don't, I don't like when people do that. I I like, I like quality time, but it doesn't have to. And this is to your point, Heather, that like everyone identifies with every love Mm -hmm. language, just not, you know, which is the highest percentage. I mean, I appreciate like a actual deep conversation, like very, you know, focused and in depth, but I don't need that all the time. Same. You know, I'm okay spending time with you and talking with you. And you're also looking at your phone. That actually does not really bother me at all. Right. Agreed. Right. Um, so things that they love people with quality time as their number one, eye contact is a big deal for them. Okay. Yeah. I get that. 
weekend getaways. If you, if you love someone who um, are in a relationship with someone who quality time is their thing, take them on a weekend getaway, just the two of you that will fill their cup right up. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Creating special moments. So this doesn't have to be expensive or extensive. It could be like, you know what, let's go for a walk. Just you and I, I want to, I would love that. And like, go for a walk in a place that has meaning or something little things like that, where there's this like meaning to the moments is the thing that really speaks to people with this love language. Right. makes so much sense. Yeah. I was also noted on here that it isn't so much like the quantity of time, like people with quality time is their love language. You kind of hear that and you think, oh my gosh, they want you to spend so much time with them. But that isn't actually necessarily true. According to what I was reading, it was that they just want some effort made to have some special moments. Yeah. When I was taking the quiz, I could tell it was going in the direction of quality time. And there is that sort of societal programming in me where I, I instantly am like, I worried that that would make me seem needy, right? Like, Yes. I dare you want interaction. <laughs> right. That terrible, like neediness thing that humans are guilted into feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that in, in some of these answers on the quiz. Totally. I felt the same way. The next one is acts of service. Mm. So in, for these people, if, if they could have a sentence written on their shirt, it would say actions speak louder than words. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Agreed. So this is when someone helps you do something to make your life easier. This is the this, these people's love language. And what I love about the fact that this is included in the way that it is in the love languages is that if you're not this person, you I really don't think you understand that that's a love language. <laughs> agreed. I gr- agreed. Because this is like somebody goes like, what's, what do you have going on today? And then says, let me do one of those chore type things to make your day easier. And I think that if in a relationship, not, I don't think it's very common for both people to have the same number one love language. So I don't think people realize how much that means to people who acts of service are their main love language. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it reads as sort of like very practical or not flashy, but it's actually really thoughtful. If someone's like, how can I make this easier for you? Even if it's something as mundane as doing the laundry for you. And so you don't have to do it. I mean, that might read as like, you know, not a big deal or not really helping, but to someone whose acts of service is their love language, that's going to read as like very impactful. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why I think understanding this about your partner or whatever is is super helpful because um, we're going to get into this in a minute when we sort of describe this. But like if you're just loving people with your love language, they might not be feeling loved. Right. So if you can understand right. what they need, it's a, it's really helpful. Right. And if you use your intuition, like if you're reading body language or if you're reading people's like responses, you're going to start to pick up probably intuitively on your own what gets a big reaction from someone. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I'm going to put an asterisk next to that statement because I want to return to it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Put a pin in that. I would like to return to that exact statement. (laughs) Things that they love are 
being made or brought a cup of coffee is a real big thing that you could do for someone with acts of service. Yes, I can vouch for that. Pick up the dry cleaning for them. Like you said, do a load of laundry for them. Um, help with chores. Anything that you do that alleviates their workload or does something, even if it's coffee, that doesn't sound big, that like eases their day is mm-hmm. that really feels supportive and loving for people yep. with service. Definitely. This is the one that I scored the highest with. Again, I would like to return to to the statement because I have things to say about it. And I can definitely see some truth in that. (laughs) Yeah. This was your number one? Yes. Yeah. This was my number two. Okay. Gifts is the next one. Mm -hmm. So these people, their love languages is visual symbols of love. Right. For people with this love language, it's most often not about the monetary value of gifts, but the thought behind them. So people like this, like if you got them a gift that cost like 50 cents, but it had to do with like a personal joke that you have or a memory that you have or something that you heard them say and you remembered that that is just as meaningful as if you spent a lot of money on a gift. And in fact, if you spent a lot of money on a gift and it didn't have a thoughtful meaning behind it, it probably wouldn't feel as loving to someone with this love language. Agreed. Exactly. They also remember the gifts you gave them like forever. Mm -hmm. This was not very close to the top for me. So I can say that I can, I can speak to the other side of that in that I'm very bad at remembering gifts. People get like, someone will be like, bring that up. I'll hear someone who that's clearly their love language be like, Oh my gosh, back in 1995, my friend gave me this thing. And I'm like, what? I don't, I I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) See, this was my number three. And I remember taking the quiz and, you know, again, that societal programming about being like feeling like I was being selfish or a gold digger or some weird narrative that was running through my head. But like you said, it's really not about the money. It's about I was out in this place. I saw this. I thought of you. And it connected me so much to you in that moment. I had to get this and give it to you. Exactly right. I had the same feelings. I felt like that little bit of shame creeping in when I was answering questions on the quiz that had to do with this one. Um, And was like, that's ridiculous. What's the difference between that and like enjoying when someone brings you a cup of coffee? Like, why do I feel? Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So like I said, what they love is just receiving any sort of gift that has meaning behind it. Anything that, like it, the monetary value is really not that important to most people with this love language. Right. Okay. The last one is physical touch. I scored the smallest on this one, Jay. I did too, Heather. Okay. All right. So um, physical signs of affection are the thing that makes people with this love language feel loved. So kissing, cuddling, holding hands, hugs physical intimacy, like these are things that make this person feel loved. So Mm -hmm. what I want to bring up here, and if you have kids listening and you want to like put earmuffs on for a second, this would be a good moment because I'm going to talk about sex for a second. But I do think- Gasping. Gasp. 
I do think that some people, when they have sex, feel very, very loved by that. And for some people, that doesn't really fill that cup. It's in like a different category. So I do think I do think that this plays a part in like a sexual relationship is understanding what sex kind of means to your partner. Yes, I think that's huge. And I think that with sex, there's an energetic exchange and an energetic connection that happens a lot of the time when you're having sex. And I think that that is a way that a lot of people connect is through that, that connection. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And then, so what they love is just receiving physical effect affection. And I just wanted to like put an asterisk with consent. <laughs> like, um, of course. yeah, often. So, and this doesn't even have to be like, you have to go out, go up and like make out with them all the time. Like, and <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like something like I am even thinking of it in a non-sexual way where those people we've talked about it before when we talked about the Claire's that like when you're talking to them if you touch them on the arm or they need to touch you to like yes. feel the connection it could just be that or if your partner walks by you and like puts their hand on your back as they say something to you and then keeps walking it could be very small things like that that really make them feel very loved that's where this one works for me this was my you know, least scoring category. But I will say that there are ways, my, like my husband and I, we've been married for like a hundred thousand years. I don't know, forever. Um, there, are, look. <laughs> there are ways that we, like that you said, like my husband will touch me just on like my lower back. Yeah. And that's definitely a way that we connect or I'll touch his, his sort of upper arm, his bicep area, just as I'm passing. Yeah. And that's, a way that's like a really solid way that we connect with each other that probably to the onlooker looks very casual. Um, But yeah, like I'm also do not try to make out with me in public. Not like none of that. (laughs) None of that. Bring her a taco. Right. I make out with her. Much better taco. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I have a question about this one because I think that I scored low and I very much relate to what you're saying. Like I, if I'm somewhere with my husband and he, those like little touches that you're describing that aren't necessarily appearing very romantical. I like those very much, but I don't really necessarily feel like it's this huge love cup fill for me. It's this thing that just makes me feel connected again. Right. What episode was it that we talked about that in? Was it the body language one where like you like you look at the person that you're most connected with in that moment? Yeah, body language. Yes. Yeah, that's what that to me I feel like it that's just the way that I connect with my husband or with anyone. Like that's the way I connect with someone when I'm in a crowd is with eye contact or something like that. And like you said, it might not be filling your cup like your love cup. It might not be nothing like that. It might just be a way to connect or to like intuitively connect. Yes. I also find it like calming. Like if I'm feeling anxious or nervous um, or in a situation where that's tough and him or anybody like put like their, their hand just gently on my arm or something for a moment, it would actually make me feel calm again. Like that, that would feel good. But I I don't, I don't know if I'm like splitting hairs about this, but it doesn't necessarily make me feel loved. Agreed. I agree. Comfort. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think it's a love thing with you and I. I think it's something that we just use for grounding or for um, reassurance. Yeah, 
exactly. All right. I just, I was like, am I splitting hairs about this or does this not exactly feel like the same thing as, as a love language? And so I think that's why I scored so low because I was, I was struggling with that. Right. Agreed. Most of the questions were like of the affectionate sort. Right. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't mind holding your hand, but like, I don't necessarily feel super loved because we're holding hands. In fact, I always am doing that thing where like, I want my thumb on top because like, it feels a little bit dominating. So like, <laughs> should I not? <laughs> You're nitpicking the hand holding. <laughs> that sounds, that's on, that's on brand. <laughs> that tracks, that tracks for you. Right. And it's like these quizzes we talked about with the Enneagram quiz that, that you, it's 15 questions and you can't put your whole life into 15 questions. If, you know, as someone who's been married for a hundred thousand years, like I don't need you to hold my hand. But when my husband and I were first dating for the first six months, was that really important to be like physically connected with him by holding his hand? Yes. Now that we have two kids and we've been together forever, I'm like, dude, I, give me some space. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need to hold your hand. I know that you love me. I know we're connected. I don't need that reassurance for you. But if that was someone's love language, they would need that to feel loved. So that that's just why it scores low for you and I. It's because we don't need that. We don't need it. We we're fine with it. We appreciate right. a, a good hand hold in the right setting. As right. Long as my thumb is on top. Um, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the quiz then, because, you know, we're kind of talking about it now, but um, I would like to know how you scored, like what it, and what you, you said a little bit how you felt about the quiz, but I would like to know your scores and sort of your thoughts on them and the quiz. Well, I mean, I think it tracks from my personality that I'm like perpetually overthinking any quiz we've ever taken for this podcast. I am always overthinking whilst taking the quiz and like, well, I feel like this in this moment, but I don't feel like this in this moment. Um, so I need to just throw that out the window because it doesn't serve any purpose. But um, I thought the quiz was easy. It was easy to take. Um, I definitely sort of felt those, you know, the social norms and the programmings that come in. I felt myself trying to decipher like what this said about me. Like, like I said before, like, does this make me a gold digger? Does this make me needy? But, you know, I, I answered honestly, and it was easy to take. And like I said before, my highest score was words of affirmation, mm-hmm. then acts of service, and then receiving gifts, which I I normally, I wouldn't have pegged myself as being someone that receiving gifts was important for. But, you know, now that we've spoken about it, like the the thoughtfulness of it, the sentimentality of it, that, that tracks for me. Mm-hmm. What were your percentages? Like, were you like high scoring on one and then the rest were way lower. Like what was that like? Nope. They were, they were all actually really close. Words of affirmation was 33%. Acts of service was 23. Receiving gifts was 17. And then the last two were tied at 13%. Gotcha. Yeah. So not, you know, it wasn't like 85% for anything. Right. So when you, when you saw that you got like words of affirmation as number one, did you feel like that is a good descriptor? Yes. You feel I like, that? I, felt like I felt like that was good. I, I, as I was taking it, I had, I was guessing that it was going to be the words of affirmation or the acts of service. And those are the, the top two. Top two. Yeah. All right. So I, I felt a little triggered by the quiz for a slightly different reason than you did. Okay. But I think if you, 
listened to any episode where I've taken a quiz, I've said the exact same thing and talked about why it's triggering for me. So it might just be that the universe finds it funny. I, I don't, I don't know, but right. I, whenever I take a quiz forever and ever, amen. It's always like, Oh, you don't really fit in any of these categories. Thanks. Bye. Right. Well, that's sort of like the theme for you, right? Is that like, <laughs> will Heather ever feel like she fits in? Like, can I just do like a, a little quiz to fit in? Like, I get that I can't fit in in the big sense anywhere, but like, really, even just on an online quiz? <laughs> no, you can't. You cannot. Okay. So basically, they're like very close to each other. Like, and I felt it when I was taking the quiz. I could tell that I was not hitting one of the categories. Like, so the quiz, what it does is there's two options side by side in like square. Yeah right? And there's a question. It's like, which one would you prefer? And Mm -hmm. I could tell I was flip-flopping. I was like, well, this one, this one, like I could tell there wasn't one speaking to me more than the other ones. Exactly. Exactly. I could tell there was one, the physical touch just by the choices that wasn't speaking to me. But I don't think that it was that I actually don't like that. And I do think with a physical touch, I had the same experience. And I think the way it's worded is very obvious in, in as we just discussed that like we would never be that over the top about you know physical affection or physical touch so I had to pick the opposite I love a little smooch a handhold mm-hmm. a back rub a little touch on the arm definitely but does it make me feel more loved than if you brought me a cup of coffee or took out the trash for me no right so but for I- someone scores high on that. Yes, definitely. Exactly. So acts of service was my number one. It was 29%. Quality time was my number two. It was 26%. Words of affirmation was number three, 23%. Like they're so close. And then receiving gifts was 19% and physical touch was 3%. Wow. Three. Yeah. And again, it was only because it was easy for me not to pick that one because of the nature of the way that they worded it for me. Right. It wasn't that I don't like that, just to be clear. People are going to be like, I think that some of the wording made me score lower on physical touch because I'm the type of person that like, like is an introvert in the true meaning of the word that I need alone time to recharge. And it, I don't feel like I'm someone that has to be with someone all the time, has to be touched all the time. In fact, I'm quite the opposite of that. I also think that when you're a mother and you, especially when your children are still at the age where they're kind of always stuck to you, that that would maybe would be higher at a different time in your life. But that like the, sometimes the thought of someone else touching me makes me just feel tired. (laughs) Right. Because you know that all that energy is going to other people. Exactly. So I looked up, um, I looked up a bunch of interviews with, Dr. Gary Chapman, but I did find one in particular that addressed when people don't have like a clear one, like, Oh, this is the one. Cause I felt like I fell into that category. And he actually said that's really normal. And those are people who are actually very easy to love because any of the love languages that you put effort into for them, they will respond to. Oh, that's nice. I would like to call about five or six people I know in my life who like couldn't manage to be friends with me because I'm and just like play them. 
See, I am easy to love. It's you, not me, because I'm so easy to love that any of the love languages work just fine. Dr. Gary Chapman said I'm easy to love. <laughs> that that kind of triggered me, as you can tell by my reaction just here. I'm joking, but I also was like, yeah, I I think any little scrap you throw me, I will appreciate. <laughs> right. We're we don't want to be desperate here, but we're welcoming to all acts of love. Yeah. And I think if you look at my top two, which is acts of service and quality time, I think that you can see that like, it doesn't really take much. Like both of those are things that are asking for little things, right? Like maybe quality time more, but again, I I don't actually want to go on a weekend getaway. I don't need, I don't need that, but like a couple hours or like a, a walk, all great for me. Right. Like, so it it does sort of speak to me like, Oh, it isn't really about doing a big thing for me. I don't need you to go out of your way for me, but it's kind of like, I just need you to like, maybe think about me at some point during the day. (laughs) I think it's an issue of effort. Yes, exactly. Right. Just put a little bit of effort in. Like you said, you don't need the getaway. You don't need to be flown away on a private jet, but just like, think about me, do the small thing for me and I'll feel loved. Exactly. Okay. So I have, a, I have a few things I want to talk about with the love languages before we get into Dr. Gary Chapman and discussing some maybe criticism of him and all of this. Um, I want to say a compliment to these. Okay. I think that if you're in a relationship and you did something like this and figured out each other's love language and then put effort into doing that for each other, that that's a fantastic thing to do bottom line. Right. Any effort that you make to get to know your partner better and understand them more is awesome. Yeah. And understand yourself for mm-hmm. sure. Right. Um, I do, I do know this about humans is that they love other people in the way that they want to be loved. They treat, they treat people in the way that they want to be treated, you know, and the same goes for like your, your human desires and your universal fears, like whatever those are, maybe we should do an episode on those sometime, but whatever those are for you, you are going to treat people as if those are the top ones for them too. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah. There's this whole thing on TikTok about like the, like reverse your love languages, like what's your love language. And then like at the end, it's like a trick, not trick, but it's like a, you know, it's this big reveal that that's actually what you were lacking in your childhood. Yes. Right. I I want to talk about that too. Um, Absolutely. Because that's not addressed in the book. And I think it's kind of important. So can you please pin that too? Because I just want to say one other thing to this. I keep jumping ahead of the agenda. Sorry. No, these, uh, these are perfect points. And I know I'm going to go on tangents about both of them. So I want to complete the sentence or I'll get lost in my own brain. How you like thinking that other people want to be loved the way that you love can actually be very detrimental. Yes. Not just like a TikTok moment reveal, but beyond that, it can actually hurt your relationship. So if let's say, for example, um, you're an acts of service person. Mm-hmm. And the person that you're in a relationship with is a gifts person that could ease. That's that's close. It's not that far off, but it could easily be misread. Like if you, if you love acts of service and I, again, that, that is mine, but also I have trouble receiving that 
too. I block it at all costs because I don't like to be helped. So that's why I wanted to go back to the thing that you said. Right, Um, right. I think that if if that's what your love language is and someone else is like just constantly bringing you flowers or buying you a cute necklace or something that has meaning. And, but what you really need to feel loved is that they pick up the kids from school that day or throw in a load of laundry or offer to make a dinner, then that's going to be a relationship miss a lot. And the person doing it is going to feel, I am loving you. I am, look at these things I'm doing. And you're going to be like, but they don't mean the right thing to me. And you're both going to be confused. And frustrated. Yes. Cause you're doing, you're, you're doing things for them. Right. So I do think that this is incredibly helpful because I see it in my own life, I see it with couples all the time where this is the problem. And I even think it's a problem sometimes in friendships where people don't really understand, you know, that maybe if quality time is your number one and you're constantly just sending them like a really nice letter because that's what you like or sending them like texts about how much you care about them and you're not understanding why you're not feeling connected, I think that can have a big effect. Right, because you're just projecting what you want, not what that other person wants. So it's going to constantly miss the mark. Exactly. So the the criticism thing that I have to it that I, I don't really think it's criticism, but like the other side of this is I don't think you can just rely on this, especially if you scored like I did and kind of like you did, Jay, where like it isn't just one clear thing. Mm-hmm. I also think that can change throughout your life, depending on what's going on. I, so I think you you can't just rely on it. I still think that you should be communicating with the people that you're close to what your needs are and listening to theirs. And you can't just rely on like, well, this is my love language. So I'm just going to do this without checking in. Right. I agree a hundred percent. I think that could be just as detrimental. Right. Exactly. What the book does not address is the fact that there are a lot of trauma responses to all of these things that a lot of people are going to have. Exactly. So for me, Acts of service got number one for me, right? Mm-hmm. But acts of service are actually really hard for me to accept. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of like a mind F, right? Because it's like, that makes me feel loved, but it's very difficult for me to allow you to help me. And that's just from like my own, my own like childhood stuff, right? So it's, it can be very complicated, meaning like if someone says their love language is acts of service and you're trying to do that and they're having trouble, like there could definitely be a deeper thing that needs to be discussed there. Right. Or it could, it could be something that, that you like, but that you only feel safe take accepting it from certain people. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So it, it's going to be hard. You have to, as the person who you're loving someone with these issues, you have to realize that like, that's what they need, but I need to work up to this or earn their trust a little bit more um, or just do something to work with them until they get to be feeling safe in that place. Yeah, 100%. And this is a situation where using your empathy is going to really help you. Using your intuition is going to be a big deal. Just observe how someone is trying to connect with you because that is probably the way that they want to be loved, right? So if in this doesn't just mean romantic relationships, right? Like anything, like how is this person trying to connect with me? Like if, if somebody is not giving you a lot of eye contact, like, I don't know, I always clock that, but that's because of body language. 
But if someone's not giving you that, and then you go to really connect with them by giving them a lot of eye contact, that's not going to work. So if you, you don't have to just look at it like, well, they're not giving me what I need. You can look at it as a way of like, oh, clearly this is what somebody really responds well to, or they keep giving me these really thoughtful gifts. So like, I'm going to make sure I do that for them because that must be the way they enjoy being cared for. That's, I think, a super smart thing to do. Yeah. And you can also take those moments as a way to, when they do show up with your love language, say, you know, they do send you a note like that you can have a, a better or a bigger reaction to that. Or you can take that as a moment to say, this really made me feel seen and validated. I really appreciate that. So that they can see that that's more of something that you're going to respond to. Exactly right. Now, there were two examples that I thought of where your own kind of trauma is going to bump into the way someone's trying to love you that are, are super common in one in particular that kind of bothers me in like the spiritual holistic world. <laughs> oh, let's hear it. I, I like doing these things because I feel like they might tee you up a little bit to possibly go on a bit of a rant. So I'm fingers crossed. <laughs> me? On a rant? <laughs> Never. All right. So the first one is some people use words of affirmation very intensely to other people and give a lot of compliments because they enjoy compliments, right? Yes. But for a lot of people who, who I was just going to say who haven't done a lot of work in this area, who, have, who still have more work to do in this area because of trauma, because of their own issues, receiving compliments actually feels unsafe. Yes. Even if you want the compliment. Exactly. Now I know that used to be the case for me. I would do whatever I could to reject your compliment. And I would like something like bad about myself. If you were like, that's a cute outfit. I'd be like, Oh my God, it has a stain on it somewhere. Like I would have to undo it somehow. Ruin it. You mean you'd ruin Ruin it. it. Absolutely undo anything nice you said. Um, (laughs) to the point that it was like silly. And I catch myself sometimes doing that as a joke um, for sure. But it used to, I used to really deflect with that so hard because it was, it was so insecure that I kind of, not only did I not really think that you are maybe being genuine, but I, I couldn't sit in a moment where somebody was saying something good about me in front of people that felt so uncomfortable and unsafe. Well, because that brings a lot of attention to you. It's not the words, it's no. the attention that those words bring. And sort of the meaning I was attaching, like as if it was now like something I had to hit all the time. Like, oh, I must always need to wear a good outfit or say something smart or fine. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it would continue, yep. it would feel like a strange thing. So yep. I've done a lot of work on that. And I, I actually try to give people compliments often. And, but I'm always clocking how they're taking it because there are some people who you love being complimented. So you pour compliments on other people. But I just think my PSA with this one is clock their comfort level with it, you know, like go a bit easier or say it more privately or find what things they feel okay being complimented with. Don't just pour compliments on someone and then certainly don't guilt or shame them if they have trouble accepting them. Right. And I think that maybe that becomes, you have, you have to, like you said, look and see where it hits, you know, and 
maybe you send that those words of compliment in a text message, or maybe you pull someone aside and say them privately, but you, it, it crosses the line. It's no longer complimentary and it's more of a selfish act. If you're doing something that you know is going to make someone feel uncomfortable. Yes. 100%. Even if you are like, but I want them to be able to accept compliments. (laughs) Well, they have to, they have to do some, some of their own work to get there. And that work is worth doing. I I will cheerlead for that. I clock it a lot and I don't say it in a preachy way, but I'm like, Hey, I've been there before. I know what that feels like, what you're going through in this moment. (laughs) And I can say like, here are some ways that you can work through it or that you can kindly accept a compliment because I think on the other end, it can feel offensive if you're like trying to say something nice to someone and they like, they refuse to take it. Like they're, they're saying that to you to try to be nice. Right. So your, your like deflection of it makes them feel bad a lot of the time. That's actually what made me do the work on receiving compliments was that I was realizing that it was like I was offending people and my inability to receive the compliment. So I was like, hold on a second. This is a very well-intended thing. This, these people are now feeling badly because of my poor response, which obviously has nothing to do with them. It's my own shit, you know, but so then I started to work through it because I didn't want other people to feel badly trying to be kind to me. Exactly. I wish I remembered where I read this. I don't. If if anyone listening was like, oh, I remember it from this or whatever, please let us know and I'll share it. But I read something that deflecting a compliment is like the equivalent to when somebody asks you how you are, who just met you going, oh my God, terrible and telling them something bad. Like, oh my God, terrible. I stubbed my toe this morning and my kid was this. And like, do you know what I mean? And reading that was so cringy for me that I was like, I'll fix it. (laughs) Yeah. Those are like big Debbie Downer moments. Like you're just being like, womp, womp. Oh. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, your hair looks really pretty today. There was this voice in my head that will be like, you know what you should say, Heather? You should mention that you haven't washed it since Friday. (laughs) Just say thank you. I don't like, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's well, just, that's how that person feels when you're saying that the other person is saying, just say thank you. Like, <laughs> exactly. they just, they're just trying to be kind, settle exactly. down. That's exactly right. When I started thinking about that, I was like, Oh, and then when I started noticing it, when I would compliment someone, I was like, well, yeah, this feels bad. Just say, even if you don't agree or you think I'm lying or or you haven't washed your hair in a few days but it happens to look nice like I don't you don't need to share that information that that's fine right. yeah exactly the voice exactly. in my head is always like tell them tell them something tell them something bad about you yeah like oh yeah. I love those pants I'll be like oh my god they're only like five dollars like shush shush stop thank you and <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break You guys have heard our ad for Restoration Coffee, so we thought we'd do a quick Restoration Coffee Real Talk or Resto Real Talk. What do you think, Jay? Well, I mean, I love Real Talks, but <laughs> I love Restoration Coffee, so this is really, like, where I where I live. Yeah, it, it's, it's a good lane for us. <laughs> this is my lane. <laughs> 
Well, the first thing that I love about Resto that I think everyone needs to know, here in Massachusetts where we live, there are a ton of coffee shops, but there aren't actually a ton of great coffee shops. Resto is a great coffee shop. The baristas know what they're doing. They know what they're making. They understand the science of it. They're not just like pushing buttons and coffees dumping out. They're really making excellent high quality coffee. They are. They're the best. So good. And then the, beyond the baristas and what you're getting, you can also get the beans. Yes. And oh my God, it's the best coffee, don't you think? Yeah. And like they're roasted themselves. Resto roasts their own beans. They're ethically sourced. They're not dunked in syrup or whatever happens to make like crazy flavors. Like they're really great, high quality, high end beans that you're getting. And you don't even have to be from around here to get them. You can order them from wherever and they'll ship them to you. And then the other thing I realized after going there so much was that a lot of places offer vegan or gluten-free or dairy-free stuff. And whenever I see it, I'm always like, I don't know if I want that. When I go to Resto, a lot of the times I order things and they're already gluten-free and dairy-free and I don't know it and they're delicious. Like they're just so good. It's so good. Even if you don't have a reason for needing to not have that stuff, have it. It's delicious and you'll feel great after you eat it. Yeah. So it's like this magical blend of taking care of people that need certain dietary help, but also making it really delicious too. Exactly. All right. I'm sold. Let's go. Let's go to Resto. Exactly. Okay. The thing in the spiritual slash holistic world that bugs me and that has been, we've sort of had a tiny break from it with COVID is this thing where you, because you're this like spiritual, empathic, emotional, intuitive creature that you should go right up to a stranger and hug them. No, don't do that. People do this all the time, Jay. No, don't do that. No. I really appreciate when somebody says, could I give you a hug? Right. Well, yeah, COVID now, right? Well, yeah, but even before COVID, pre-COVID, is it okay if I gave you a hug? Um, I'm going to say yes, even if I don't really want a hug. And also I read body language, so I can totally tell the person who wants me to hug them and the person who doesn't. I know that that's not everybody, but like (laughs) (laughs) pro tip, you can actually figure that out. Um, Right. I just think like, I know I get the meaning behind it. Like you're trying to have a deeper connection and and stuff, but I know I've been in rooms before where there is a person. So I tend to be the person who knows more about people in the room than everybody else. That's kind of just my life. Right. Yeah. I tend, I've had so many times where I've been in the room with a person who has had some sort of trauma happen to them where being touched is tough. Yes. Especially being touched by a stranger. Yes. And I see the hug thing and I see the person brace and cringe and I get kind of angry. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a breach of personal space. Yeah. And you don't need physical touch to connect deeply and energetically with somebody. You really and truly. So what you're doing is saying, I feel more connected to people if I get to hug people. So I'm kind of forced you into sort of my way of doing it. Yeah, you're also saying, I don't really care about how that makes you feel. Yeah, exactly. You're just looking to feel, get your cup filled up, and you're not paying attention to what my needs are. Right, and if if one of your Claire's is touching, that's great, but it doesn't have to be a full body hug, no. you know? Right. And you can also, you also don't have permission to just jump into people's energetic spaces and touch them. 
No. And what I really want to get across is that it doesn't feel safe for some people. Like I, I'm okay with a hug. I'm not the most like, Oh, you know what I want to do is I want to give you a hug. Like I sort of reserve hugs for moments where I think like, this is a moment where you need a hug. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. But if you want to hug me, I'm, I'm okay with that, but it isn't something that I'm like, you know, it would make me feel really connected to you. Wrap your hands around me and breathe your stinky breath onto my neck. Like that isn't, <laughs> I'm not looking for that, but I'll accept it if, if you want. And I really appreciate it if you've asked, you know, but right. there are some people that that is going to trigger a really big response. The majority of them that I know are women. And so just right. be careful of that. Be considerate of that. Absolutely. Always. All right. Let's talk about our friend, Dr. Garrett Chapman. Yes, let's talk about him, shall we? Okay. So he, the doctor part of his name is because he has a degree in adult education. Okay. Great. Good for him. Okay. He is a Baptist pastor. He is not, he has no degree in psychology or counseling or any of that. But in a lot of churches, part of your role as a pastor or minister or priest is to give counseling. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the part that I think I might make people mad when I say, let's hear it. Well, there's going to be a bunch of parts probably, but this is the first one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that that actually qualifies you to give people relationship advice. No, I do not think it does. Okay. If you are seeking the advice of a pastor and because you are either part of that religion or you want to know that, and you are super clear and understanding that it's from the view of someone who is like most likely an expert in that religion and how to navigate things with that, then I think it's 100% fine. Okay. And support high five. I'm all for that. I agree with you. However, (laughs) if you're in need of like actual counseling and like there's a, an issue that would be better served by a professional who has a degree in psychology or mental health or whatever. I think that that would be the kind of expert you should seek out. And I think that there should be a clear difference between the two. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of assumptions that people make when they hear doctor and and I would never um, criticize anyone for getting a doctorate in anything. No, but um, to you, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. High five to anyone who gets a doctorate in anything. Yeah. But (laughs) We're also, as a society, we hear doctor so-and-so, and we ascribe certain qualifications to that, that it sounds like Dr. Gary Chapman doesn't actually have these things. It's kind of like the Dr. Phil thing to me. Exactly. And, and I think that we just hear doctor and we go along with it without, like, I'm sure that many of the people that he's counseled never actually looked into what his accreditations were. Right. And I, I think it brings up that question for me of like, how much are you responsible for researching and how much is like Dr. Gary Chapman responsible for kind of disclosing? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now he does not make it a secret that he is a religious person and that he is a religious pastor. So, and he doesn't ever, I've never read anything where he claims to be a counselor. So I want to make that clear. Like he isn't 
I, I don't feel like he's trying to deceive anybody, but there is this sort of weird thing for me within religion where people like if, if you are a pastor or something and you took some time to get like degrees or education in counseling people, I think that that's really amazing. Awesome. Yeah. But if right. you but- didn't, you're just giving out religious doctrine and that isn't counseling. And if you're writing books about relationships, you're then crossing a line of how you are being perceived by people. Yeah. And Dr. Gary Chapman also wrote a book on dealing with anger. With no training in counseling or therapy? Correct. Wow. Does it... Does it give me like the grab a boy feel where I'm like, cancel, not okay? Not at all. Does it give me this feeling of like, hey, everybody, make sure you're looking into, it kind of gives me like a little bit of a Rachel Hollis feel of like, this person isn't qualified to give this advice. And like, just because they're on social media a lot, or they have a best selling book, like doesn't mean you should take it as like, for lack of a better term, like gospel, like you should take it and use it and see what works for you. But also know, like if you're having a relationship issue, you should see someone who's a professional and expert in that field. Yes. But I also feel like they may not be like this guy and Rachel Hollis. They might not be up there saying, you know, they might not be painting this false picture of themselves. They might not be saying I'm an expert in this but they're also not doing anything to stop that perception from happening and snowballing and making them a ton of money. Right. Right. Like he's not saying, Oh, oh wait guys, I'm not a counselor. Oh wait. I'm, I'm, I, I wrote this book on anger, but I don't really have any education to do so, you know, stop. He's letting it roll. Yeah. I think that's a societal problem. Yes, big time. Yeah, I think it's a huge problem. And I want to talk more about that in next week's episode when we talk about cancel culture and share our thoughts and things about that. Because again, this was written in 92. And again, he wasn't saying he's an expert in these things. He's he's saying, has brought up in the book that like he has all of this experience with couples from mm-hmm. a pastor. Right. And it's just this little element to me where I'm like, oh, like there are people like Brene Brown out there who are, they do have degrees and are absolutely educated in the subject matter that they're talking about and have done that work. So, you know, I'm not necessarily comparing her with, with Dr. Gary Chapman in this instance, but I am saying like with like a Rachel Hollis or something, it's like, I, I think we need to we need to value like someone's accreditations. And I think we see that coming up as an issue with people like not knowing what kind of information to trust with COVID and if the vaccine's safe and stuff, because they're, we we're not trained to go like, let me actually do some research. We're just trained to sort of like be triggered by information. Right. We're trained to see a doctor on someone's name on the front of a book and make all of these sort of subtle assumptions about what that means. And And then if we like the information to just absolutely become obsessed with it and then, and not do any due diligence to research, is this valid? Is this person legit? Is this safe information to be not only living by, but then also sharing with other people? I mean, this culture is so hooked on instant gratification and then obsessing on things. 
Exactly right. It is so much easier to, there's so much information out there that you could absolutely find something that fits the narrative that you're most comfortable with and just have that be a truth. But what's real is that you do some research and you look at it objectively and you then deal with your own feelings and discomfort around whatever that is. Exactly. And then you might, but then you might have to do the hard work of saying, I really like this information. I don't love the person who's presenting it. And so where do I draw the line in that? And that's where it becomes difficult because it becomes a lot more moral and ethical than you probably wanted to deal with when you got the love languages book. Exactly. All right. Well, since you said moral and ethical, (laughs) I have something else to bring up about mm-hmm. Gary Chapman. So yep. again, I, I want to touch on this subject of what we allow and what we don't, but I also want to tell everyone like, wait for next week's episode two, we'll get deeper into this. And I, I think maybe we'll even reference this example because I think it's a good one. Right. right. Dr. Gary Chapman is a Baptist pastor. He's active yep. in his church, all of this kind of stuff. He has a website where people can like ask questions Um, So I found a scary mommy article with this and I'll link the article in our show notes for you. So you guys can check it out. This was the question sent in and then this is the answer. So it's a teeny bit long, but hang with me because I feel like I should read. I'm not going to read his entire answer, but I have like the two parts that I feel like are most important. And I've read the entire answer and I really don't think that I'm leaving out anything important, but I will, you can find all of this stuff, this information for yourself. All right. Okay. So the question that was sent in is, um, now again, I just feel the need to say this one more time. This is being sent to someone that they are very aware is giving them advice as a Baptist pastor. So I think that it's important to know that when you're hearing it. Yes. Okay. The question is, my son has recently told us that he is gay I'm having a hard time dealing with it. How can I help with this and still show love? So that's the question that was posted. Okay. Okay. Posted on a public website and this answer is a public answer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Chapman's answer is disappointment is a common emotion. When a parent hears one of their children indicate that he or she is gay Men and women are made for each other. It is God's design. Anything other than that is outside of that primary design of God. Now, I'm not going to try and explain all the ins and outs of homosexuality, but what I will say is this. We love our children no matter what. Express your disappointment and or your lack of understanding, but make it clear you love them and that you will continue to love them no matter what. I would also encourage you to ask your child to do some serious reading and or talking to a counselor to try to understand him or herself better while continuing to affirm your love. Almost all parents, even those who say we should tolerate all lifestyles, will feel shock and deep pain if one of their children's, uh, children announces that he is homosexual. The initial reaction is that they have failed their child in some critical way. The fact is that research has failed to discover the cause of homosexuality. We simply don't know why some people have same-sex attraction. So what's a Christian parent to do? 
The, the example of Jesus would lead us to spend time with them, communicate with them, and demonstrate love for them, even though we do not approve of their lifestyle. And that's where you lost me, Dr. Gary Chapman. Like, you're done. You're dead to me. No more. Same. You okay. don't get a dime. Nothing. Same. Now, here's, here's what I would like to say before I say the rest of the things I'm going to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am not a religious person. I was raised in religion and chose to leave religion for my own reasons. I respect other people's religions. I truly do. I think it would be incredibly hypocritical of me who wants to be respected in my own beliefs to then say that I don't respect other people's beliefs. Mm -hmm. You can believe what you want and I will 100% respect that. But (laughs) if your beliefs start to hurt other people or try to take away their rights or try to give them less of a quality of life or make them feel less deserving of anything, I am going to stand up to that. And that is where I draw the line of me just allowing you to have your own freedom of of belief. Like that's the stop for me. Like if you think homosexuality is wrong in your religion, then don't be in a homosexual relationship, but do not start inflicting that on other people. That's the line for me. Agreed. And that should just basically be like the manifesto of this podcast is like, <laughs> do whatever you want, but but don't let it harm or infringe upon anybody else. And the second that it does, do not be surprised when people like Heather and I start speaking up and getting mad and feisty about it, because that's exactly what's coming your way. Yes. And, and hear this. It isn't about your religious beliefs. No, it's it not. isn't about the fact that you're religious and we're not. It is about the fact that you are, your religion is dictating something that is harmful to other human beings. And 100% of the time, Jamie and I will stand up to that. And by the same token, because I've been in a lot of these situations standing up on the other side of someone who's giving a religious argument, whether it's directed at me or to somebody else about why they're going to like burn in hell or something, uh, or they're, who they are is unacceptable. and what I will say that really irks me about it is that a lot of times there's this, and I feel this in in Dr. Gary Chapman's response here. That's why I'm bringing it up. There's this idea that religion owned God and what your relationship to that should be. And that that's the part that like really gets me like, no, you don't, this is just what like human beings have decided as a rule, not you don't own how you have a connection with God or the universe or whatever. And that's that of all of it, including the gaslighting (laughs) that is clearly in his statement of like, we're going to love them, but we're going to make it clear. We're not accepting them. That's the part that really gets to me the most. Right. And when we talk about, you know, cancel culture, or we talk about, you know, what do we take from someone's work? Can we take their work and not, um, look at their own personal beliefs. That's where the line is because you can't think the thoughts that he has in that statement and not have your entire work be laced with those feelings. So now to me, you, you sullied it the whole, like now I don't trust a single thing that you said, because I know that that bias, that discrimination, that superiority is now going to be in all of your work. And so it's over. Exactly. Now, back when I read his book, 
which again was a long time ago, it was very, very clear when you were reading that you were reading the work of somebody who was very religious, but it, uh-huh. it didn't, maybe if I, I read it now and I, I did like reread some of it to prep for the podcast, but maybe if I reread it now, I would have a different reaction, but it didn't, it wasn't preachy and it wasn't, this is religion and how you should believe it. It, it was like, there were, there were some like Bible passages included, like for mm-hmm. like kind of like a quote sort of thing. Honestly, yeah. that doesn't bother me at all. I don't, I don't mind a good Bible passage every once in a while, you know, <laughs> Jamie just made a funny face. Like I, I don't, if that speaks to you and that comforts you and that makes you feel good, high five. Mm-hmm. I'm not offended by that. I can read that uh, of any religious text, the Bible, the Quran. Like if, if you have a, a something that is meaningful, I'm not going to disregard it just because it's religious. So it isn't like he's pouring it down your throat, right? But right. the thing when you hear this quote in that, then I, I started researching after I read that was like, let me try to read this book, not through the lens of a privileged white woman. <laughs> right. And uh, what's very obvious is that there is no, that's who it's written for a privileged white hetero couple. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that this is made, he said men and women. So now this book doesn't apply to now a significant portion of the population. And he just said that. Yeah. And even on his website, there's different like little quizzes and resources you can go to. And there are ones specifically for single people, for seniors, for the military. Military. Don't get me started on how people like to take advantage of people in the military. Weird. Okay. Um, Men, kids, Mm -hmm. and teens. Not included are women, interracial couples, BIPOC, LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia, like not nothing included for that. Nope. So that's where, again, I mean, I already had a problem, but like, again, we're hitting this thing. And we talked about this um, a little bit with Enneagram and how like the Myers-Briggs personality test specifically in that episode was made by someone who clearly was very racist. Very racist. There's not representation everywhere. And like, I know, I, I already can hear the the criticism of us right now being like, well, this was written in 1992. I get that, but your website is current and you could certainly amend things and make that better. And currently, love languages is this huge social media trend. So you can't leave it in the 90s. You can't leave it if you know where all those excuses lie, where we want to... Like, yes, we should allow people to do better and to be better and to learn and to grow. But love languages is huge on social media and it's thrown around all the time. And take Dr. Gary Chapman out of it and and insert all of the people on social media, to your point, mostly white women who are using this as a way to connect with their audiences, to sell their own products and programs. So when you're doing that, you're taking the energy of something very gross, very discriminatory, and you're using it to better yourself without realizing how many people it's affecting. Absolutely. And it really, for me, raises the question of like, where should the line be? Because I do think some of this information is helpful. So if you go like, I'm going to take some of this and use it because it's good. And then you go like, are there any professionals who are not having like really discriminatory beliefs that mm-hmm. have done 
work on this subject that I could also research. Awesome. If you are using it for yourself, cool. But if you're going out and being like, you know what I'm going to do a course on love languages for everybody in your not, you don't know, and you haven't looked and done the research, even if it's not a course where people are buying, you're just promoting it on TikTok for likes or something. And this is grab a void codish for me. You didn't really look into it before you promoted it. I kind of have a problem with that. Oh, I definitely have a problem with it. And to your point about lines, I think every situation is different. Everything's situational. So you have to, that's why you have to always be doing the work of the things that you're learning and and where it comes from. And so you make your own line, but, and you have to do it for every situation. But for me with this, my line that it's, it stops before it begins. The only time, like I won't even use it in my personal life. I would never use it to apply it to my relationship with my husband or my children the most you're going to get from me about love languages is like a taco joke. That's it. That's it. That's how bad it feels to me. That's how it, like how energetically yucky it feels. You get nothing from me. I feel the same way. I feel like I may go like, okay, I see that there's value in communicating to your partner, the things that make you feel loved and maybe the things that are like a swing and a miss and like asking and, and seeing how you can do that. But that's not something that he came up with. He just came up with a method for doing that. So again, it sort of makes me go, well, what could I seek that feels a bit more in line with, with my values? Right. And how would I feel if I personally was able to overlook all of the discrimination in the under the underpinnings of his work, right? Mm-hmm. If, I, if I was okay with that, mm-hmm. I'm not. But if I was okay with that, mm-hmm. and I was talking to a client about that, right? I had to say I had a Reiki client, and I was talking to them about some issues with them. And what if someone that I loved, that's a part of the LGBTQ plus family, heard, mm-hmm. not, not making money off it, I mean, I guess I would be in the session, but they heard that I was using that work. Mm-hmm to help support a client of mine? How would I feel if I knew that, that they knew I was doing that? Yeah. And that's my answer right there. I would be embarrassed. I would be ashamed. I would be regretful. Agreed. 100% agreed. That's the answer. That's how you find the answer. Yeah. I agree with you. The part two where in his quote, where he says like, let me find it so I can tell you the exact part. Cause I got like, I was already like really mad when I read through it, but then I got extra mad. It's, oh, almost all parents, even those who say we should tolerate all lifestyles, will feel shock and deep pain if their child announces that he is homosexual. I would like to say, as the person he's referring to in that paragraph, people who say we should tolerate all lifestyles, I would not feel shock or deep pain if one of my children told me that. The only thing that I would feel that would be a negative is like fear of how society and people like this would treat my child based on that. So I don't exactly. think that being spoken for thing because it's very much not accurate. I hope that my children are good people who enjoy their lives and, and find happiness. Who you choose, what gender of human you choose to be with is not anywhere on the list of things I care about. Correct. And someone who's going to speak with with that sort of condescending tone, with the gaslighting, with he's obviously saying things that he thinks he should say that are politically correct, but then working right around them in the next sentence. Anyone who talks like that, it's over. It, it doesn't. It doesn't track. It, it doesn't 
hit the, the vibe check, as they say on TikTok. Exactly. I would like to ask our listeners to look up one of the many interviews. I'm thinking of one in particular that he did with Oprah and his wife is in the crowd and he's asked sort of the question about um, what's your love language and your wife's or whatever. And they talk about it. And there's a few more interviews where she's included too. And I just want you to look at the bizarreness of their relationship (laughs) because you're, again, you're giving relationship advice. And if you're intuitive at all, when you watch that, you may pick up something. That's all I'm going to say about it. But there you go. Right. And and to that point, use your intuition for all of this. If something feels gross, and again, it's not the like intuition, look into your crystal ball. It's how does this feel? Like when I'm reading this and I'm hearing this, how does this feel? What's my reaction to this? You're going to know how you feel about it. Yeah. If you're, if you're going, if you're saying a sentence in your head, like, well, I like the concept, but not the person that's your answer that you can't, you can't reason and excuse that away. Like you just, you just said the thing. And if you are, if you are excusing that away, then you're abandoning yourself and you're abandoning your own beliefs and your own standards. Agreed. All right. I I have two more things that I find are like a little bit critical of this that I'd like to bring up to you. I mean, I don't really need to hear any more, but sure. (laughs) None of them are as big as the ones we already talked about, but I think they're worth mentioning. Um, The first is that there's no mention anywhere in the book about how love languages can change. And to me, that seems it's sort of implied that you have one for your whole life. And to me, that really does not seem accurate. No, I agree with you. Like we said earlier that in the beginning of a relationship, it might be different Mm -hmm. after you have children. If you choose to do do so, that would be different. Once you've healed your own traumas and your own stuff, it's going to change. I mean, I feel like humans are always changing. Of course, the way you feel loved is going to change. Exactly. And I kind of mentioned this before, but along that same line, there's really no mention of trauma and things that could be affecting the love language that's right. not written about. And again, he's, he's not, he doesn't have a degree in any of that stuff. So why keep right. and include it, but exactly. it seems a little surface level to me if you're not going into that. Right. All right. The last thing is that um, in the book and then in a bunch of interviews, um, Dr. Gary Chapman talks about your inner love tank which is a, a term I use. And I was like, Oh no, did I get that from this book? Because <laughs> I Yeah. Right. So he references the inner love tank and he says all kinds of things along the line of like in your, in your partnership and your relationship. So he's implying like a husband and a wife, right? Cause he's looking for it mm-hmm. to be sexual. So I'll just I'll speak in that term. If you're, you should be looking in and going like, how full is my love tank? And then speaking up to your partner to fill up the love tank. And then you should be asking your partner about their love tank and then doing things to help fill it or whatever. And there's a lot of that. And okay, but there's this implication almost to me that it's your partner's responsibility to fill your love tank, not your responsibility. And it makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that that's the job of the individual is to fill up their own tank and to be managing that. And what happens if you break up or the person dies or 
Yeah, it's this real, and, and don't, get me wrong. don't get me wrong, in a relationship, you should be checking in with people, whether you're using like a love tank reference. I actually say love cup, I think, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, if you're used, like, you should definitely ask that and check in with them. Absolutely. But it's, it's the implication that you need someone else to do that. That is the problem for me. Like you're a complete human all by yourself. And it's also your responsibility to find your own way to feel happy and fulfilled and all of that. So if you have a partner in your life, it's, it's not their job to make you happy. It's just that they can support you in feeling happier and and well-being, but they can't fill your tank all by themselves. Like that's, they can just sort of support the tank. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's an incredible way to build resentment in a relationship is to assume that someone else is responsible for your feelings or your energy level. I mean, that's that's a lot of pressure for someone else. Yeah, and you know, the measure of a, a healthy relationship is not like how much one person does for the other. No, it's not. So yeah. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my final, my final thought. Is that a Jerry Springer thing? These are my, this is my final thought. (laughs) But you did have final thoughts. Yes. So my Jerry Springer final thought about this is that this isn't great guys. I think we can find something better. I think the concept of checking in with what your person in your relationship with romantic friendship, parents, child, all of your relationships to understand how they best express and receive love and how you best express and receive love is really a great concept. I would like yep. to believe that Dr. Char- Derry, I can't say his name now, Dr. Gary Chapman <laughs> had that intention with this of, of like wanting to improve that. But whatever your background, whatever your religion, all tolerant of, but again, if you start coming from this place of not loving everyone and and being judgmental and and saying like this group of people doesn't get the same treatment, it disregards for me any of your expertise. Like it undoes all of it and it's not okay. And I am sure that there are many people who are qualified relationship experts that you could consult to do this better. Right. And we should be doing that work, not because it's cute or catchy or clever and you see it on social media, like we should be, you know, it's, I get that, you know, acts of service, that's my love language. Those are sort of like phrases that our brain latches onto. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to feel good in a relationship, if you really want to do well by your partner, you're going to want to go beyond that and do the actual work beyond, you know, the hashtags of love language. So, so true. All right. And then I I would like to say one more element of this is my final, final thought (laughs) (laughs) to set us up for next week's episode. This is something we're going to talk about. And it's, it's not a spoiler. It's a like, this is when you're hearing that we're doing an episode on cancel culture. I actually want you to know this ahead of time that to me, and I, I saw this quoted somewhere and sent it to you before the episode next week, I'll find out who originated it. I I can't remember. You might remember. It was Lamar Burton. Oh, yes, exactly. The Reading Rainbow guy. Reading Rainbow. I love him. And it was that it's not conse- it's not cancel culture. It's consequence culture. Yes. I love that more than I can express. And I agree. Even more that the Reading Rainbow guy said it. Um, but what I want to say is that 
there needs to be consequences for patriarchal white cis males to try to push their unhealthy Agenda. agendas onto other people. And if that consequence is that we don't use this or it dips in popularity, or maybe it just becomes something that people in that religion feel okay using good. Or you, or you don't make millions of dollars on it. Cause that's really what you want to do. Right. Right. Like then I'm, I think that's a fair consequence. And I also think we have this skewed version of like, if it's a cis white male that it's okay. But if like, a person of color was to say that or to come out with this, that was like excluding a group of people. I can already feel people getting tense about that. So double standard, baby, we got, we've got to start having consequences to people who are not being fair, accepting and loving to everybody. Right. And doing it in a balanced nature, doing it in a way that we look at it, we research it, we do our own work on it. Mm -hmm. We decide for ourselves what feels right, what feels wrong. Yep. But we start looking at these things and holding people accountable. That's how we make change in this system. That's how we create systemic change is by doing this sort of work. Exactly. So even if you wrote a book in 1992 that we got some problems with, or you sent right. some nasty tweets, Chrissy Teigen, back in the day, there's right. consequences for those things and you have to be prepared for them. So more on that next week, please tune in to our feisty, fiery conversation about that. But please ask yourself some important questions about it in the meantime. Right. All right, Jay. I think we should go get each other some tacos. Exactly. My only love language. Exactly. Tacos. All right. I'll see you later, Jay. Can I ask everyone listening to do us a favor? Can you please... Go wherever you're listening to this, whatever platform you listen to the IGG on. Can you go on for us, please? And like, whatever it's asking you to do, like, like, follow, download, rate, write a review. We would love for you to do that for us. Hey, thanks for listening to our episode. For show notes and a place to send feedback, please visit our website, embodylove.me slash intuitivegirls. Again, that's embodylove.me slash intuitivegirls.